Welcome to the DTP podcast for December 2017, volume 55, number 12. My name is David Fazakli, DTP's deputy editor. Hello, I'm James Cave, editor-in-chief. Our editorial this month highlights some of the challenges associated with shared care arrangements for medicines. So let's start with asking, what do we mean by shared care? So we're talking this month about the shared care protocols that came into place about 25 years ago when really because of budgetary constraints on secondary health care they began to move medication use out of hospitals into primary care. Those of us who are old enough to remember at that point primary care had indicative budgets only for their drugs. So there was a big move to move patient care and their treatment out of secondary care into primary care. So what's the issue? So with that, of course, came issues around responsibility and many GPs were concerned about uh, some of the drugs that were being asked to prescribe, both from a safety issue and also from a cost issue. And so these shared care protocols were really designed to try and make sure that the important professional issues and medical issues were all tied up and everyone was clear what their Uh, responsibilities were in that system. But you say this is not a new problem. We've had this as an issue for 25 years, but just at the moment it seems to be exacerbated by workload issues. Yes, I think there's been a number of of things which have begun to really stress these. One clearly is the workload issue uh, right across the NHS, but uh, particularly perhaps in primary care at the moment. So many GPs are saying Uh, This is just more work which we're being asked to do, which hasn't been commissioned. We're not funded to do this. I think also what's happened is that there's been an increased complexity developing actually with a lot of these drugs. I'm thinking perhaps, for example, ADHD medication where GPs are being asked not just to prescribe and monitor these patients, but also perhaps to ready these patients for clinic with ECGs and other medical assessments and these all are add to time and increase the workload levels. But at the heart of this is a problem for the patients because increasingly patients are caught in the middle of trying to work out who, how and where they get their meds. So they might have to get it from the hospital, they might have to get it from the the GP and if there becomes a debate or argument between primary and secondary care the patient gets caught in the middle well this is it and obviously in the in a perfect world there would be no issue here actually and this is the the point we make in our editorial this should be seamless it should be actually a situation that the national health service when it commissions a service to prescribe treatment for patients that should all be sorted out right at the beginning of that commissioning process so that a patient will go and see the specialist will have what treatments required and the nuts and bolts going on in the background about who's responsible for what and what needs to be doing done where is all sorted out beforehand i think the problem we have at the moment is that uh, traditionally when commissioning new services people have failed to look at the issues around primary care and what needs to be commissioned there to make sure the service works. So it's a traditional thing that we always do or seem to do in the NHS which is treat the medicines as as a separate entity without seeing them as part of the whole commissioned service. Absolutely right. Okay thank you very much. So our first main article this month reviews the first triple combination inhaler licensed for the management of COPD. So let's start off by saying what's in it. 
So this is a beclometasone formoterol and glycopyronium mix. So we know the beclometasone formoterol uh, combination uh, as Foster, and so this is in effect Foster with a glycopyronium, which is a long-acting muscarinic antagonist a- attached. And the evidence for its use comes from what sort of studies? So we have two trials, both uh, uh, pharmacy-funded, Trilogy and Trinity. And Trilogy was about 1,400 moderately severe patients with COPD. They all had to have had at least one exacerbation in the previous year. And it basically compared um, long-acting beta agonist and inhaled corticosteroid combination versus the triple Trimbo combination. And then the second study? In the second one, which is a much more complex study, similar sort of patients, but here they compared a LAMA alone, and in this case it was teotropium with Trimbo, and also with what they called an open triple combination, which was beclometasone and formoterol uh, combo inhaler and a separate teotropium inhaler. So a single inhaler, triple dual inhaler, triple, and then a LAMA on, on its own. And broadly, what sort of outcomes in terms of lung function? So as you might expect, really basically put, the more drugs that these patients inhaled, the better their lung function. But it was very marginal indeed. Um, So in both studies, those that were having the LABA-ICS-LAMA combination did better than those who were on double or single therapy. But as I say, these were um, probably pretty meaningless far as clinically is concerned, lung function changes. To give you an example, in the first study, the transitional dyspnea index, which measures breathlessness, had a 0.2 difference, 0.2 of a point difference. And we usually say that you need at least one point to make a clinically significant change there. So very little difference actually in lung function, although some. The big area perhaps that everyone all talks about these days is an exacerbation rate. And there was a an absolute difference of 0.1 less exacerbations in the triple therapy group compared to the double therapy group. But that's that's 0.1 per patient per year per year so yeah. you to get one reduction a reduction of one exacerbation you're talking about 10 years yeah so you need 10 years treatment and then you might reduce and that was in a group of patients who had already had one exacerbation in the previous year and of course we need to remember that many patients don't actually have exacerbations at all and of course they would perhaps have not have had any improvement at all and what seems to be missing from the evidence is any comparison between this triple combination and a LABA-LAMA combination. That's right. So we're we're seeing a a bit of a sea change in COPD management at the moment with the concern around inhaled corticosteroids causing pneumonia. There's increasing suggestion that we should be using LABA-LAMA combinations before we go on to using inhaled corticosteroid. And that's certainly the sort of thrust of the new gold guidelines. So it's a shame that we don't have currently anyway a um, triple versus LABA-LAMA study to to look at that issue. So bottom line, if you are absolutely in need of triple therapy, this might be something that might help with ease of administration in that you're only using one inhaler, but it really the unanswered questions are still around what's the place of triple therapy. Indeed, it it is um, exactly that. Triple therapy has been a big problem, to be honest, because I think what happened with the initial guidelines that came out some years ago now is that everyone ended 
up graduating towards triple therapy and certainly in our practice about 70% of patients at one time were on triple therapy. The pneumonia issue then raised its head and now there's a lot of jockeying for what might be the best combination for each patient. But certainly in those patients where triple therapy has been helpful and effective and patients are getting on with it, obviously a single inhaler is always going to uh, be a good idea compared to having to juggle lots of different ones. Okay, thank you very much. And our final article this month reviews dimethyl fumarate for psoriasis. We looked at the product containing dimethyl fumarate for uh, multiple sclerosis a few months ago, but here it is now licensed for psoriasis. So is this a new intervention for psoriasis? So dimethyl fumarate is a newly licensed product, but there has been a similar drug available, particularly in Germany, called Fumaderm now for some years. Dimethyl fumarate is a single ester, and Fumaderm, the preparation uh, from Germany, actually is a combination of esters. And it's thought that dimethyl fumarate is the most active of those. So we've got some evidence from the fumaric acid esters, in a Cochrane review, and what did that tell us? So they looked at six randomised control trials, and they looked, there are a number of different ways you can measure the effectiveness of treatments for psoriasis, and one of them is called the PASI score, which looks at uh, how widespread your uh, psoriasis is and how severe the plaques are, and can give you a score. And they looked at the PASI 50% score, so that was a 50% improvement in that score. And out of these six randomised control trials, there was a 64% of patients had a PASI 50% compared to only 14% given placebo. So there was you know, a significant improvement using these esters. And then the evidence for this particular product? So we have just one randomised control trial, about 600 to 700 patients, 16 weeks, and it compared dimethyl fumarate with fumaderm and placebo and the study there looked at a PASI 75 score and uh, the dimethyl fumarate was at least as good as the fumaderm uh, with a about 37 percent PASI 75 uh, improvement versus only 15 percent with the placebo. So evidence that it, it does, does improve for some people does improve their psoriasis harms so it it's not got a you know this is this is a drug not without a sting in its tail first of all about a quarter of patients in studies tend to discontinue it because of abdominal pain diarrhea and flushing uh, and that's experienced in about 60% of patients so a lot of patients get it and about a quarter have to discontinue because of it the biggest thing, though, is around the hematological changes that can occur with this drug, and in particular, you can get a reduced lymphocyte count, uh, and there's a very rare complication called progressive multifocal eucoencephalopathy, uh, which is a very nasty condition and uh, one that, as a consequence, we need to be monitoring these patients with regular blood testing. And we saw the warning earlier this year from the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency about PML and dimethyl fumarate when it was licensed for MS. So the same cautions and the need to regular blood tests and regular monitoring are equally required for its use in psoriasis. Exactly. And I think as a consequence, um, NICE has agreed for this use, but only in severe psoriasis and only after treatment with 
other uh, systemic drugs such as methotrexate have been tried. So it's good that we now have a, a licensed formulation so people are no longer having to rely on a, an imported unlicensed product. But this is specialist management. This is definitely specialist management. Okay, thank you very much. To read these and any of our articles, please visit our website at dtb.bmj.com. And if you have any comments, please email dtb at bmj.com. Thank you very much. Thank you.